Welcome to Your Pathways to Wealth, where Charlie Massimo and Peter Anastasian are on a mission to bring clarity to the world of finances. Together, they bring a wealth of knowledge to help you uncover a way to simplify your financial life. Join Charlie and Peter and their guest experts as they venture to help you preserve what you've built and enjoy what you've earned. Now, let's talk wealth. Some wealth managers like to focus on a specific profession or age group. Charlie Massimo and Peter Anastasian have been able to build a successful practice working with physicians, specifically anesthesiologists who want to plan for a financially secure retirement. But Charlie, why would an advisor want to specialize? Well, thanks, Patrice. As you, as you mentioned, advisors or wealth managers like to focus on anesthesiologists and physicians for some, some obvious reasons. And today, I'm so excited to have our guests with us to talk about some of the key areas that they focused on throughout their years to help make them successful professionally, as well as so prepared financially. And personally, I have tremendous admiration and respect for these three gentlemen for the way they approach life as physicians and as family stewards. So who are these three people that we're excited to have today? Dr. Chris Campisi who is uh, past president of the New York State Society of Anesthesiologists and currently is the chair of the Department of Anesthesia at Glen Cove Hospital, which is part of the Northwell system. Dr. Leo Penzi, executive vice president and chief medical officer at North American Partners of Anesthesia. And both Chris and Leo were a big part of the growth that Napa experienced for so many years. And third, we have Dr. William Kruger, and before joining Team Health, Dr. Kruger led the anesthesia group at Brookhaven Hospital here on Long Island. So gentlemen, welcome. We thank you for being part of this podcast today. And between the three of you, you may have nearly or, or maybe over 100 years of experience in practicing anesthesia. So you guys have been doing it for quite some time. So Chris, in your mind, what's some of the major changes that's occurred since you started practicing anesthesia? Thanks, Charlie, and thanks for, for having me join this podcast today. I think there's been a tremendous amount of changes in the specialty of anesthesiology. Uh, certainly, we were talking about this in our preparation for the meeting, uh, how we're a much more visible specialty than we ever were before. In the days uh, sort of probably when I was just getting started, um, the anesthesiologist was almost an unknown member of the healthcare team, of the surgical team. And today, the anesthesiologist is, is meant to be and is expected to be a leader in the perioperative environment, meaning that they are the physician who is expected to oversee so much of the preparation of a patient for surgery. There's also been a incredible technological growth over the last 30 years since I started with advances in monitoring and equipment and record keeping and, and so many things that go into the daily work uh, of an anesthesiologist that it's almost like taking a plane from, uh, from a, from a prop plane of the you know days past into the into the jet age where there's just so much technological support being able to help us uh, take the best care of patients 
And certainly, and I mean, Leo and, and, and Willie can speak to this as, as well as anyone, there's been change on the, the business side of medicine. When we started, anesthesiology was private practice anesthesiology for the most part, where anesthesiologists, physicians going into the specialty would join a practice. It would tend to be their job for life. And you were expected to help build that practice and shepherd it into the next generation. And today, um, I'm going to pass it over to Leo and add his thoughts, and certainly Willie. Uh, Medicine is a completely different business, and anesthesiology practice, I think, reflects that perhaps more strongly uh, than some other specialties. Yeah, and and you bring up the issue of it's big business, and, and all of medicine is big business now. Willie, you know, shifting to that thought of big business, what what some of the challenges that that's created for you and, and maybe some of the new anesthesiologists that are just starting to practice medicine? So, Charlie, you know, when we started, as Chris said, we were all, you know, private practice, small anesthesia groups. Actually, Chris and Leo's group, Napa, was probably one of the first big super anesthesia groups. And Other groups followed along that. Uh, I was involved many years trying to form another super group on Long Island, which in this day and age is even more difficult with the current shortage of anesthesiologists. And and it's a good point. We, you know, we've talked about and privately as well as more publicly about the whole thought of mergers. And Leo, your, your group is probably one of the most active groups when it gets to mergers and acquisitions. Have, has that focus changed at all, or is, is the focus of growth still more? Is it more organically, inorganically? Where, where's the focus on growth? Well, I think the focus is trying to create the best customer experience we can, because if you don't do that, uh, and what I mean by a customer, I mean the patient, I mean the institution. If you don't do that, then, you know, what, what are you really trying to accomplish, right? So certainly in our organization, we spend a lot of time on trying to understand who the stakeholders are. Uh, and that includes, you know, our own anesthesiologists and nurse anesthetists and CAAs. So a lot of time is spent on that. You know, if if I were to think about the, the question that you asked, uh, what I would say really have been the major differences from my perspective, and obviously from a scientific perspective, things have evolved. But what I would say is, Many years ago, we had a lot more downtime during our day, all right? So you could pick up the Wall Street Journal between cases because turnovers were an hour, right? You know, you could kind of get up to speed on a lot of different things. You could make phone calls during the day. The way we work now due to production pressures and very frequently we medical dir- medically direct many, many rooms, there is essentially zero downtime during our day. So the the day itself has gotten completely focus on providing care to patients and there's no time to do anything else. So, you know, that you, you value your time at home even more because your day is so busy now. And I would say the second thing really is, you know, when we started to go leave our residency programs or fellowship program and started to go into practice, um, there was a ramp up in compensation, right? And so you kind of got a chance to adjust from you know, making a resident salary to, you know, making a little bit more and the next year making a little bit more. What's happened now is essentially you go from zero to 90 miles an hour, right? And that can be really overwhelming if you don't know how to manage that. So there's, I think there's an overwhelming concept to that or or a component to that. But I also think 
it is a real opportunity for people to create good habits, good, you know, uh, financial habits. And if you don't do it, then you kind of start to create habits that are not good habits with respect to uh, wealth, you know, accumulation over time. Yeah, I was just going to say, Leo, you brought up a great point in regards to where the industry was and the amount of time that you had to where it is today. And truly, most likely quite a few things changed. Number one, seems like most physicians have to be even more efficient than they were, not to say that they weren't previously, but certainly they would have to be even more at this point. But with that limit of time, do you find yourself delegating a lot more uh, than you typically would have in the past? And and in that potential delegation, what would you actually delegate? Well, I think there's, there's just less hours in your workday, right? And so the things that I would have ordinarily done during my workday, you know, when I had downtime, there was no downtime anymore. And so what ends up happening is I end up having to go home and do those things. And honestly, <laughs> when I go home, I don't want to do those things, right? Yeah. So I think what ends up happening is that you, I think you also start to realize that you're a professional. People come to you because you're an expert in something and you spend, you know, 10, 12 hours a day working and fine-tuning your specialty, and and that's based on your literally hour-by-hour hour experience, and that's no different than other professionals. And, you know, I think, I guess we'll talk about this a little bit later, but one of the really eye-opening things uh, when I started to work with, with the, uh, you and Charlie is that I don't worry about that stuff at night anymore, right? Because I know it's kind of taken care of. Now, I do get a lot of input into it, and you are amazing listeners to understand what I need my financial plan to look like. But in the end, you help to execute that. So I can sleep well at night, right? And I can come home and not have to worry about those types of things. So it's really been, you know, extraordinarily beneficial from that perspective. Those are great points. And, and, and Willie, we do meet physicians a lot. We all like control. And I think physicians more than most or have to take control to be successful in a way. But giving up that control of your finances is sometimes very difficult. How how did you get over that to give up the control of your finances to, to out practice? Or how can physicians get more comfortable with that? Well, I think, you know, Leo kind of spelled it out pretty clearly. I mean, we're experts in what we do. You're an expert in fiduciary which is very important in what you do. You know, you have to have a, a leap of faith and trust, and that's incredibly important. But also uh, the principle of, you know, asset class and spreading out your wealth so that you're not concentrated in one area. So uh, slow and steady wins the race. I just want to make a comment about you, what you said, Charlie, because uh, you said – First of all, I think you're 100% right. You know, in our specialty, we're very controlling. We uh, the, the work time of, of work we do, we see immediate feedback and we respond to that feedback. We look at vital signs. We give a drug. We wait two minutes to see what that drug does. If it doesn't do what we want, it, we switch to another one, right? So there's a very, very tight feedback loop. So inherently, we have a bias, and that's probably the wrong approach to wealth generation over time because wealth generation is more about slow, steady, planned, you know, stay in the game, 
and you'll win the race, right? Which is very different from what we do. So the second thing I also, also want to say is you say, when you said you know uh, that I would be giving up something, for me, I don't feel like I've given up anything. I still have control over the plan that we have co-authored, right? And what's great about it is we co-author the plan. We continually look at it. But then you guys go out there and try to actually figure out how to do it, right, based on the plan that we co-authored. So I don't feel like I've given up any control. It's not like I've said, you know, here you go. Here's my money. You know, call me once a year. That's not what our relationship is like. So we do, again, as an anesthesiologist, I feel like I have a lot of control. Another great point, and it's true. I mean, when you're in that operating room, you're one of the keys, right? If something goes wrong, it seems like you're the first one that has to maybe correct that situation, but you don't do it emotionally. You do it based on your 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 experience. You do it based on the science. You do it based on what you know and know has empirically worked for you know for for decades in in the practice. And and sometimes that doesn't equate over with physicians that are investing because they do let emotions get carried away or let their emotions dictate decisions sometimes and forget about the empirical data of the markets. Chris, do, do, do you find that, you know, emotions, how, how do you help a physician equate the lack of emotion, for a better way of putting it, or, um, in the operating room and equating that to the same type of success you need to be an investor? It just can't be emotional. So it was interesting because when I was thinking about the, those words, I was reflecting on the fact that what we do in the operating room every single day, every single case, is we go in and we meet a patient for the very first time, and we have to get that patient to trust us with their lives in the space of about 10 minutes. And a lot of that is coming from the personality of the physician who's doing that, the anesthesiologist presenting themselves to the patient. And when you are able to establish that level of trust, then that patient will give up control of their life to you. I think there's a lot of parallels with the way that one chooses a financial advisor and with the way that one continues to look at the management of their portfolio going forward. So you go out and you talk to people. I came to our relationship through Willie Krueger. And it was because I knew that Willie had had a long relationship with you, had developed a level of trust and had great results with what you had, what, what you had developed for him that I looked at that and trusted in that relationship and in that experience enough to give up the control. As things move forward and we've been through markets up going up and going down and, and all these kinds of problems, it's the trust in the relationship. It's the trust in the, in the long-term goal and knowing that the execution continues to follow the plans that we put forward together that make that that make that continuous, that make that relationship continue to work. Leo, at, at what point did you say, hey, I need to get serious about this and get a plan instead of just going day by day? Because I think there's a difference between wealthy and being rich. I think most physicians or many physicians are rich because they have great income. They might not be wealthy because they just don't have that financial security. And that's what wealth is, true financial security. At least that's what I believe it is. 
So what kind of, what switch went off or when did that switch go off to say, I got to, I, I can't think of myself as rich anymore. I need to plan myself to be wealthy. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting in my mind and I have an 89 year old dad. He was a New York city fireman. He is wealthy, right? And because he made good choices, he stuck to his investment plan uh, over time. And so you look at somebody like that and it's not about your salary, right? And I look at wealth as, you know, earnings minus spending times time, right? Because time is probably your, one of your best friends. Time's, time's good planning. Like that's the formula in my head for wealth. I think wealth is associated also with peace of mind, right? And so I think I've, and again, I'll be honest here, I probably spent the first half of my career on uh, literally just trying to maximize my income, right? Whatever I could do to maximize my income. And what you start to realize is you're just working for the sake of working without actually knowing what you're working for. You don't have a target. You don't have a true north. Is there a more efficient way to achieve what I want to achieve over time? And those are the kind of things that I started to think about. And unfortunately, I think we are surrounded in an environment in general, and you know, as an anesthesiologist working in an, in an operating room with you know pretty high uh, income generating colleagues, right? Surgeons, think about it, surgeons, anesthesiologists, etc. And you know, everyone tells you their story, right? I bought this stock, I did this, I did that. And, you know, you only hear the good stories, right? You don't hear about the people that made mistakes but because they didn't really think through what their plan was or they came to the end of their career and they realized that they didn't really have a plan for retirement, right? And so really that's – those are the reasons why I felt like I needed to get something that was much more robust – and I say the last thing, I, I was just spending too much time thinking about it, right? I was like Googling stuff. <laughs> it's like, what am I doing? After like a 14-hour day, I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm in bed, you know, Googling, you know, wealth, whatever. It didn't make any sense. So, um, you know, and I, I was able to uh, to hook up with you guys, and it's it's been great. W- Willie, Leo brings up a great point in regards of, you know, creating a plan. And perhaps maybe you could share with the audience – the shift in how the industry has changed from a compensation standpoint, where I'm sure prior to when you started, the anesthesiologists were making even more than what you were. And then again, you don't need to go into specifics, but more so the trend of compensation and perhaps the importance of having a plan earlier in life than potentially later in life because of the change in compensation and industry. Uh, as Leo had described earlier, we all started at a lower salary, which was slightly you know, more than your residence salary. And then you had a buy-in over several years. Here, it's you're you know, at 100% as soon as you come out. And the uh, salaries that are being offered now, I would have never imagined in my wild dream, dream would be the starting salary. As far as the planning, I mean, I've been with Charlie now probably 25 years. I I always was a saver. You know, I always believed in, you know, it's the same old proverbs, pay off your debt, save your money, live within your means. Uh, It's as simple as that. And having a plan, a lot of these 
you know, surgeons that Leo were talking about, they probably didn't have an advisor. They would just go with, you know, what was hot that day or week and buy it. And yeah, you're right. You never heard about the losses. You heard about the one out of 10 wins that they did and that they, whatever winnings they had, they spent on the next loser. You know, we've all been through these multiple crashes. The one advantage we have being older experience shows that, you know, markets return. And if you don't go, you know, feed into the fear and, I've had plenty of times where I've had fear with the, you know, the market's ending, the world's ending. But if you can, you know, quell that and just stick with the plan and, you know, don't do anything rash, you'll be better off in the long run. If I could add something to to what Willie's saying, Peter, though, and it would be, I think, a word of advice from sort of an older physician to a younger physicians would be that the economics of healthcare as they currently stand, in my view, are pretty much unsustainable. And the numbers that our colleagues are currently making are going to be looked at under the microscopic lens of how do we cut costs in the healthcare system. So it's always a good thought for people to prepare for salaries to not sustain themselves and how do you live your life and manage your income and manage your spending and save for retirement when the economic pressures are pushing in a downward trend so be cautious because things might be great today but that doesn't mean they're gonna be great 5 10 15 25 years in the future and Chris yeah Leo I'm sorry got it, you know, for those that don't know, we're we're on screen here. So when somebody raises their hand, we can actually see they want to actually interject something. So go ahead. You can up. see, and you can see we're pretty passionate about this. Yeah, stuff, right? Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so I want to just uh, there's another change that I think is really important that we might really be overlooking a little bit, which is, and this is very different than than we had earlier in our career. You know, when we started earlier in our career, we didn't have any flexibility, right? You were a 60-hour call-taking physician. That's all you had. There was no other choice. You know, the specialty has evolved so that we can actually, you know, take part-time jobs. We can work three days a week. We can work three nights a week. There's a lot of flexibility out there. And, you know, another reason why I think you need a plan and you need uh, modeling, right, which, again, I think from my experience, you guys have done an amazing job of, the mo modeling might actually give you information back that you don't have to maintain your full-time status, right? Because you're in, you, if, you, if you feel like you're in a good place and you've set your goals and you're kind of on track for your goals and you feel like if you back off a little bit, you're still going to be fine – that's a that's a huge lifestyle decision that you can make scientifically, right? So I think that's a really important aspect, and also a, a you know one of the I think big changes in our specialty has been the ability to do that. The other thing that I want that I do want to say, and I think Chris mentioned this, is we're science like as anesthesiologists and physicians, we're scientists, right? We read journals, we 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 base our our protocols and our care on what we've learned from previous experience and what we've read in journals, right? And, you know, I've, I know I've probably called Charlie 
uh, a couple of times, you know, when the market started crashing and uh, like I say, you know, should I pull my money out now? And what he came back to me with was science, right? It's it's financial science. Don't do that. Let me tell you why. Let me show you the reason why it makes no sense to do that with graphs and data. And that stuff, I feel like as anesthesiologists, we can we can absorb and understand, right? So I really think that's an important aspect. I would never be able to do that if I was trying to manage, you know, my, my portfolio myself. Yeah. Yeah. And it's great. We always say that investing is a full-time job. If you treat it any other way, that's the results you're going to get. But before I forget, because Leo, you said one thing great in our pre-call and Willie brought it up about, you know, living below your means. You gave this example and I haven't heard it before. You said <laughs> yeah, about yeah. Shaquille O'Neal. Can you go yeah. over? I thought that was great. Yeah. So there's some video out there and I haven't seen it in a while, but they, you know, Shaquille O'Neal, amazing, amazing uh, wealth production, right? And the guy's incredible, right? And, you know, they go to him and they say, uh, Shaquille, like if you had to give, you know, some advice to new people that are starting out here, you know, what would your advice be? And he kind of leans over onto a table, grabs a piece of paper, tears the paper in half, and he takes the half of the paper and he throws it in a trash can and he goes, those are taxes, right? And then he gets the, the remaining half of the paper and he tears it in half again and he says, okay, this is savings, puts it on a desk. And then the last piece he got, he goes, this is what you can spend, right? So in other words, there's a, dis a very simple discipline there, but there is a discipline. And so, you know, even the, the wealthiest people in the world have a very simple plan. Yeah. And, and we talk a lot about that. And can you, you tell it? So there's a difference. And sometimes people or physicians or and people in general just don't see the difference between investing and wealth management, which you talk about a plan. Chris, how would you distinguish the difference between investing and wealth management? So, I mean, I think wealth management is the holistic picture of everything altogether. So, it, it one of the advantages that I find in working with with you and Peter is that I have somebody who's able to look at the big picture of my resources of which investing is a part and be able to look and then identify avenues in which to maximize that over a period of time wealth management in addition um, investing is to is to grow the resource but wealth management to me is being able to utilize investing and other management tools in order to provide the resources to do the things that I would like to do in a, in a full and well-accomplished life. So you, you spoke very much at the beginning. It was very kind, and you're absolutely right. All three of us are very much about our families and, and about legacy and about charitable giving. And all of those things, I believe, are what you do and how you manage your wealth to be able to live uh, a complete and and rewarding life. Yeah. So you know, one of the other things that that I would say is, you know, we we especially as the we get a little older, <laughs> people on this phone call get a little bit older. You know, there's an accumulation phase, and then there is a distribution phase, right? And so there's a different science to accumulation versus distribution, right? There are a lot of tax complexities. There's maximization, you know, of income that you actually take out <laughs> later in your life. Investment opportunities are continually changing. There's estate planning that has to be considered. And 
those, you know, state planning is just getting more and more complex, right? So that is, like Chris said, I think it's wealth, you know, management is, is just the aggregation accumulation of all of those things that I just mentioned. It's not just about, you know, what your return on your one investment is, right? Yeah, and, we, and it's so true. We, we always say from an income standpoint, you don't take your investment statements to the supermarket. Right? You take your income to the supermarket. And in retirement, that difference is that shift is sometimes difficult for, for physicians or people to see. Because let's face it, most physicians we know have, lived, have built a lifestyle that they don't want to give up or they prefer not to give it up. Up, right. So it's all about how do we give him that level of comfort? And and Willie, we, we have this conversation. And, you know, and from my perspective, and I always say this for the three of you guys, the game is what I call it, meaning that if you stop today, you, you can probably live comfortably for the remainder of your life. But Willie and I, we have this conversation all the time. Um, and maybe it's a it's a thing with physicians, I don't know, or just people in general. But you say you'll never feel comfortable. Right. And it, it, do you think that's a? And I know, but do you think that's a a, a, a a physician thing because of the lifestyle? Where where's that? Le- when will that level of comfort be there that you say, "Hey, I've done what yeah, I've done as much as I can do now." That's a tough ch- question, Charlie. Um, part of part of working is also a social aspect to it. So it's it's not only the economic aspect, you know. Some physicians I know have no other hobbies. They don't want to stop working. They come to work just to socialize. I've kind of slowed down a little bit uh, with the surgery centers. I know Chris has as well. I think, you know, mentally working keeps you, you know, keeps you kind of going. Also having that little, you don't need to go full steam anymore. As Leo was saying, you can slow down, go part-time. But it is nice to get that little check and have a source of income. You know, we've talked in the past about this Great Depression that might be coming. So that makes me a little nervous. So uh, I have a plan of when I'm going to totally quit, but it's it's not yet. <laughs> <laughs> Leo, yeah. So I just want to talk about this term work-life balance. Because you can't go like five sentences without somebody, you know, in our specialty talking about work-life balance. And, you know, me personally, I think that's a completely overused uh, statement, right? In in my mind, it's more about work-life integration, right? Because if you use the term work-life balance, that just means that work is bad and life is good, right? And that's not as anesthesiologists, the way we think about it. I would say... Almost all every anesthesiologist that I've ever met loves the work that they do. They really do. And, and, you know, we're blessed because it's such an amazing specialty. So, you know, that is a that's a it's a it's a tough decision as to when you think you're kind of done. And it's not like necessarily based from a financial perspective. Right. The other thing that I want to just think about, have people think about it as far as, you know, work life integration is Sometimes you got to save an acorn today, right, to create a better work-life balance later on in your career, right? And so you you can't have your cake and eat it too, right? So if you want to have a better lifestyle as you get closer to your retirement or better, you know, I'll use the term work-life balance, (laughs) you have to think about what you can do now 
to be able to have that ability to, to do that later on, right? So work-life balance is not necessarily about what's happening right now. It's what you can do over the course of your career and how your career changes. Yeah. I, I, I'm sorry, Charlie. I just wanted to piggyback on that and just and add the thought that you, you asked where, you know, where does that come from? And I think some of that feeling of work being such a valuable part of our life and something that in some way, as Willie suggested, you probably want to continue to do it in some fashion, uh, even into your advancing years, is because there is a purpose and a and a value to it, whether it's social or or economic. But I think a lot of that comes from our families. I would offer that everybody on this call uh, is probably the child of somebody that you know lived in either the depression or the post depression world, and those values were transmitted to us as children and inculcated in us as we went to school as kids. And I think we embrace them and I think we live them that work is an essential purpose. It shouldn't come at the expense of other important things in life like family uh, and friends and the ability to relax. But it's finding that integration that Leo talks about and remembering probably that the most important currency that, that we're dealing with here is time. And it's how do I use my time on this earth effectively, try to live the best life that I can and and maximize the, the positive things that I can do with that time. Yeah, I really think that's awesome that you said, Chris. And it's, it's really so true because the three of you, and again, when I say work balance, I didn't mean one over the other, but I'll, I'm going to start saying integration, Leo. Thank you. Mm-hmm. But, but the three of you have really, in my mind, mastered that integration, because I know how much you guys still love practicing. And I know how much you love and enjoy your family and spending time. So I think that's, you know, you guys have reached what, what I call the epitome of wealth uh, at so many levels of, of, of your life. And I know Peter and I are truly honored to be part of that, a little part of that. So we thank you. So before we go, because um, we are going to have to wrap it up and thank you so much. It's been so insightful. Really appreciate it. I'll ask each of you, you know, if, if you were talking to a new resident coming out today and starting practice in anesthesia, what one or two things would you tell them to get them started on the right foot? And Leo, I'll start with you. So I would say a couple of couple of I'll use some terms, right? Discipline. I think honestly, like if I had to pick one word, uh, the word would be discipline. Right. And discipline is about not trying to keep up with the Joneses. It's about creating a plan for yourself. It's about trying to understand over time how that plan needs to change. It's about knocking out all the noise because if you have a disciplined plan, the noise means nothing. In fact, you should look at noise as an opportunity, right? If you're continually, you know, dollar cost averaging your, your, your investments. So I would say discipline, start early. Time is, it's incredible and uh I also want to thank you guys because you actually were able to educate my kids. You did us uh, some sessions mm-hmm. for for uh, you know young young children to get them to start to understand investing. And I will tell you, my kids no longer buy Starbucks coffee because <laughs> that's like four bucks. And according to Peter, that's like you know forty thousand dollars when you that one <laughs> cup of coffee costs you forty thousand dollars when you retire. <laughs> so they make their own coffee. But I think that's a really valuable lesson for people to understand, you know, how you can accumulate wealth over time with the moves that you make today 
early in your career. And okay, really, uh, you know, listen, I, I go back to what my 89-year-old dad said, and you mentioned, which is just live under your means. The temptations for us being surrounded by high-income generating colleagues in, you know, in our environment, it's very tempting and it's a way to create really bad habits. You can still have all of those things, but there's a time and place for them. Willie. Yeah, Leo, I totally agree. I mean, at this point in your career and even these new grads coming out, they don't need to impress anybody. They've done it. They've made it. They're smart enough. You know, there's no reason to buy that, you know, fancy, fancy car, especially when these other regular cars are so good that they're just as, you know, just as efficient. But as far as, you know, you kind of said it with the discipline starting early. I totally agree. Being organized, organized and efficiency kind of go hand in hand, you know, so you don't make too many mistakes. If you're organized, you know, that just makes everything so much smoother. But paying off the debt, I think, is a if you have debt, that's a huge priority. Before you can do anything else, you need to get rid of that. And Chris, and- blend it with you. And finding people you can trust, I think, is really important, right? Because we're we're spending so much time in our day taking care of patients and thinking about our profession that you don't have the time to be the expert that you need to be in order to manage your resources effectively. So you got to find people you can trust and 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 pulling in all the things that Leo and Willie said that you you've got to. Give your control over to somebody who's going to help you achieve the goals. You should have the foresight to think into the future and, and, and articulate uh, what those goals want to be and have an input into how you get there, but you can't do it all. And people that think that they can, sometimes they get lucky, but I think for the most part, they, they're uh, making their life much, much harder than it needs to be. Gentlemen, this has been so insightful. Peter and I- Thank you so much. And, and again, I admire you guys immensely. It's a privilege to not only be able to call you clients, but but more so to call you friends. And I, I thank you for that. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that take a lot from this. So we appreciate you being with us today. Well, thanks, thanks for having for us. us, Charlie and Peter. Yeah, thank thank you. you. Great to see everybody. Patrice, I know this was a little longer than we normally do it, but I thought there was so much great information and you could see we could probably go on for at least another hour with the three of them. I think uh, you could. I think uh, <laughs> definitely could. But before we end this, Charlie, how can people reach you? Well, I always like to leave that to Peter. Well, <laughs> again, I think one of the biggest themes in this podcast has been no one plans to fail except those who fail to plan. And with that, just wanted to mention that we are proud sponsors of PGA 77 coming up on December 8th through 11th. If you happen to be there in 2023. And if not, you could certainly reach us at yourpathwaystowealth.com or at 631-777-1030. And listeners, of course, follow this podcast to know when the next episode is ready for you and share with others. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for listening to Your Pathways to Wealth podcast. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit our website at Wealth Enhancement Group or give us a call at 1-800-492-1222. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. 
The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of the Wealth Enhancement Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. 